This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, The Porning of America, The Rise of Porn Culture, What It Means and Where We Go From Here, our guest today, co-author Kevin M. Scott, argues that porn has seeped into and been absorbed by every defining aspect of our culture. Language, entertainment, fashion, advertising, sexual behavior, even politics. Scott teaches American literature and culture and directs the English education program at Elizabethtown College. Kevin Scott, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thank you for having me. How are you today? I'm all right. Well, what's, what's it like there today? Is it are you, is it a clear, sunny day? Well, actually it is, but uh, it's even sunnier and warmer because uh, I recently took a new position down here in Georgia at Albany State University, oh. and it's still uh, in the 70s during the day. So, so you got. What, what are you doing now there? Uh, also teaching literature and, and doing Amer- uh, doing American Lit and oh. English education. All right, congratulations on that. Thank you. It, it makes you warm and sunny inside as well as outside. <laughs> That's I'm right. Sure. Now, uh, give us a, your best uh, shot at uh, a definition of porn. Right now, what would you define it as? Well, you know what? That's sort of a, you know asking to uh, to square the circle because uh-huh. we all talk about porn in, in such dramatically different ways. It's a uh, it's an incredibly complex concept. Uh, to many, it is any sexual material that's in, intended to stimulate. To others, uh, it is a particular kind of sexual material as opposed to say erotica. Uh, and and I would say that for the purposes of being able to uh, make progress in our book we adopted something closer to that second uh, approach where well, when we talk about porn what we're really talking about is the uh, is the particularly american and, uh, brand of pornography that has come to dominate that industry and is also that brand of of sexual material that's seeped into the culture and changed the way we we view ourselves and, and everyone else when, no, go ahead Mike. when you were putting the book together did you uh, do kind of a a survey of of world porn was of what is considered pornographic in other cultures. Um, we we did. We when we first began the book, we weren't sure how broad a scope we were going to take, but fairly quickly we decided we were going to limit it to American porn, uh, and for a variety of reasons. You, uh, if you want to look at some really rough porn, you can look at the Russian porn that's available. There's some really creatively nasty stuff going on there. Is that right? Uh, but if you want to, you know, we decided that we were really interested in us. You know, we're Americans. We tend to navel-gaze a lot, and so that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're interested in, in how our particular culture has adopted the core philosophies of pornography. Now, are there particular signposts for American porn? If I were going to, you know, take you into a room and show you uh, several examples of porn, and, and uh, not all of them would be U.S. porn, <laughs> Is there, are there things that you look for that makes it distinctly American? Um, I, I would say that uh, that was true. Uh, that the, that there, you know, if you were to, there have always been. I mean, porn's like talking about porn's a bit like talking about Europe. You know, you you, you can't describe all of porn uh, the way you would describe one back alley in in France. You know, it's a very it's a big continent, uh, and that's certainly true of American porn. But 
Um, there were and still are certain things you can say about the significant majority of American porn. You know, when I began the project, I expected to find roughly what I found, but I didn't expect to find the percentages. What I found was that a much higher percentage than I had expected was porn that I would consider pretty degrading, uh, basically about domination or about degradation, especially of women. Mm-hmm. I, I want, it's interesting, and uh, I, I don't want to get too far afield on this, right, right. but... but uh, it's been interesting over the last decade or so to see the uh, the internet the uh, the naf- naftaization of porn. You, you're seeing more <laughs> yeah. you're, you're seeing more and more porn coming in from Eastern Europe and Russia. I'd say in the last five to ten years, it seems like you see more uh, that uh, identifies itself as sort of being in- international in uh, in 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 its. Uh, uh, where it was produced, does that mean anything about our? Is there something about that that says something about uh, warning of America? Well, sure. Um, uh, a few things. Number one, that uh, these places recognize that we are a, a big market, and not just a market, but a market for a particular brand of pornography. Mm-hmm. So that you know, if 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 porn producers in Russia believe that we were a big market for more erotica-based sexual imagery, that's what they'd be sending. But mm-hmm. that's not what they're sending. Mm-hmm. What they're sending tends to be stalking, raping porn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they recognize and, and we prove that that is what we're interested in receiving from them. Mm-hmm. And has that, been, uh, has that been commercially successful here in America? Well, it's successful enough that there mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. a number of websites uh, that are, you know, if, if, if you're looking for uh, porn of that nature, uh, there are a number of websites that are doing quite well mm-hmm. that are, that are from Russia and Eastern Europe. We're speaking with Kevin M. Scott. The book is The Porning of America. Now, when did when did The Porning of America really get kicked off? It's, it's, porn's been here since you can draw stick figures on a cave wall, I would imagine. Well, absolutely. But once again, that's if you define porn as sexual material that's meant to have an, an arousing uh, purpose. Um, we really start, uh, or we really see the idea of porn the way we currently think of it as beginning somewhere during the Cold War era. So what we're talking about is not just material that's designed to titillate, which we don't really have a problem with. What we are, what we find as having a potentially, and I think demonstrably detrimental effect on the culture, is that porn which only conceives of sexual relationships, and for that matter, personal relationships, through power. Mm-hmm. And that begins in, in, in a significant and in mainstreamed way in, in the Cold War era. Now, would this be in, in uh, pop comics? Yeah, it begins in comics and men's adventure magazines, uh, and uh, very quickly after Hefner begins Playboy, which was not not a uh, power-oriented magazine, you get all the copies, and then you get the men's adventure magazines developing into the sweats, mm-hmm. and the sweats did tend to be much uh, much more power-oriented. Now, th- these these magazines that you're talking about in the in the fifties were these the sort of the Argosy magazines where the women were dressed as as Nazi stormtroopers <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Well, uh, Hitler's uh, hideous harem of agony. Yeah, wow, yeah. It's one of my favorite titles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, because I, I, I as I I've seen these older magazines and and they tend to be uh, the, you know the muscle bound American soldier coming in with ga- guns blazing and fighting the uh, you know the uh, the Nazi 
long-legged Nazi stormtrooper types. Is, is that what we're? Is that kind of the? Yeah. Well, well what's happening there is it's the um, working class answer to Playboy. Playboy really was targeted towards um, a middle class or upper middle class educated uh, audience. That um, you know, you, you'd get a pictorial, you'd get an uh, interview with Norman Mailer, right. then you'd get an advertisement for a ten thousand dollar stereo, well, and you know it was and. And in the pictorials, it was it was an, it was ex- Esquire with naughty ma- naughty it, pictures. Exactly, and the women in the pictorials were were looking right at you. Um, they were presented as full individuals. I mean, yes, they were being objectified, no question, but they were presented as women who had their own sexuality. Now, uh, so it it really was a much more erotica based image, and it was the idea that uh, you know the girl next door, she you know she also has a sexuality that she's interested in. Yeah. Uh, but in the men's adventure magazines, you get a lot more resentment um, flowing because these were definitely targeting lower middle class, working class um, uh, uh, white men. And, it cre- and increasingly, you know, as, as the form developed, you get um, white women and black men being the target of, uh, of a lot of the resentment. And so you get good American men being tortured by, you know, buxom white Nazi women or or vice versa, you know, you, uh, but it, 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 you, mm-hmm. you ended up getting all of that anger funneled through sexuality and, and targeted towards women. So this is really kind of the, the uh, confluence of politics and sexuality. Uh, yeah, well, uh, and social change. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm saying the, sort of the, yeah. the empowerment of, of, uh, yes. of women and, and what the threat it re- represented to That's this right, that's right. You know, we had Rosie the Riveter doing, during the war, and she mostly got kicked out of her jobs, uh, you know, right after the war. But over the next 10 years, the level of women's employment got back to the same level it was at the peak of the war. And so you did have this huge influx of, of women and, and black men increasingly into, uh, into the same positions that white men had felt that, that were theirs. Uh, is there a turning point in the porning of America? I mean, for, for what we're talking about now is is sort of yes. underground. Um, it's, right. it's not it's not in the commercial culture yet. We, would that be uh, deep throat or around that period of time? Or? Um, well, you get a, you get a number of turning points. And I would say that the men's adventure magazines were not really underground. They were no. right on the shelves no. of the drugstores. Uh, they were very popular sellers. They sold millions and millions of copies. I, re- I remember next right next to Mad Magazine was Argosy. E- exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. But yeah. But I would say that there were, I'd say, a couple of turning points. And obviously the 70s is, is one turning point uh, where you get the sort of what's called the golden age of pornography. But the next one would obviously be uh, the early 1990s. And the 1990s are a turning point because it's, you know, to use now an overused cliche, it's the perfect storm for pornography. You had uh, uh, Clinton essentially telling his attorney general, You've got other things to worry about than pornography, so stop all these porn prosecutions. You had um, the feminist movement uh, disintegrating as a coherent national movement primarily against porn. You had the rise of, of gays and lesbians socially, and, um, and, and they uh, borrowed from the feminist movement, but they had a very different attitude about uh, pornography. You had, uh, you had the government uh, doing a pretty good job of taking down uh, uh, the mob and the mob was behind most of uh, was behind most of the porn industry up to that point, uh, and so the industry got cleaner and more professional. And finally, of course, you had the onset of the best distribution s- system in the history of the world, which is the internet. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, now, 
and, no, and also, I mean, and uh, along the way, there's there's ways to to look at through this through the uh, prism of technology. Absolutely. Back back in uh, the day, you you had uh, the pl- the Pussycat theaters back in the I assume the 50s and into the 60s, and then and then we had DVD or VHS came along, and and that really was driving those <laughs> these technologies. Uh, right, uh, right. VHS <clears throat> sales for pornography were <clears throat> very instrumental in the, in the popularizing that, and then we had DVDs which came along in the 90s as well so you also have these things and then the internet so these these a lot of this is driving be porn is driving a lot of these technologies as well absolutely that going back to daguerreotypes and and, and uh, the beginning of photography in the yeah. 19th century although we did porn did just suffer its first major defeat on the technology front because porn at first backed hd dvds mm-hmm. Um, and it did it in a fairly splashy way, and everybody thought that was going to be, aha, HD DVD is going to win, and of course it didn't. Blu-ray won. Uh, but that's because porn has been suffering some real setbacks over the couple last couple of years, and I think it's um, primarily a healthy thing. Not, I don't mean it's healthy whenever porn suffers. I mean the reasons why, because... Uh, it's the democratization of, of sexual imagery. Uh, I would say, you know, in the book we point out two areas where uh, uh, anti-power, uh, or, you know, or rather a pornography that doesn't depend on power, um, there are a couple of areas where this is, um, is, is really growing. And one is women's porn. And, of course, it's interesting that in America we call it women's porn because if you watch it, it really is just erotica. It's got a millennia-long... Uh, history, but here we call it women's porn. And the other is uh, true amateur porn. And in in amateur pornography, um, it's much more flexible, much more creative. There's uh, much less of the the nasty stuff. you, and, and, and when there is power play, it's usually pretty clearly play. Um, and so it's interesting that people are taking uh, pornography into their own hands, and they're doing it, in, a, in uh, I would say, so far, in a, a generally healthier way. Now, there's gradations of pornography, and I, we, we've of touched course, on this a little bit. You mentioned erotica. Uh, now, that, now, that is... I mean, are there lines that you can say this it crosses over from erotica into porn? Does it have to do with penetration? Have to do with certain acts? Uh, uh, yeah, well, those you know, th- there you definitely get into the kind of delineations which are almost impossible yeah, to hold yeah, up because the difference between hardcore and softcore porn. You know, for our purposes, uh, basically the line that we draw, and it's a fuzzy line. And if you could give me examples that I would. Uh, be uncertain about, but uh, basically, it's a, a, about is there mutuality? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, uh, are are is every member of of the act going on fully present, mm-hmm. or or is one member gaining an identity by essentially stealing or destroying the identity of the other? Right. We're speaking with Kevin M. Scott. The book is the Porning of America, and just into amateur porn a bit. It's it's almost an imitated form. Though, in some cases, especially if you consider how Paris Hilton uh, rose t- in, in the public eye, uh, so to speak, is, is, is that something you, you looked at, just how, how amateur pornography can be a, a calling card? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, 
uh, it's hard to say whether or not you would call Heather, I mean, Paris Hilton's uh, entry into the you know public consciousness amateur or not, because she did it for pay. She's thinking in a longer term. Did she actually, no, she didn't actually do this, this famous One Night in Paris video. She didn't do it for pay. So, I know. I oh, know. no, I'm just saying, I mean, I want to make sure, because I, I may have missed, missed something, but she, uh, but she subsequently got in on the back end deal of this didn't right you? oh yeah and i actually wasn't <laughs> meaning actually for money i mean yeah. I, I think uh and 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 of course we don't we don't know what her intentions were we uh, but but it does seem from the outside as if it was a clever way to uh enter the public stage and the public stage is i think very gratifying to her so so we so there is evidence to suggest that that she was complicit in the release right. and somehow and then and, and oh my gosh how did this get out there the sort yes. of feigning of and then we now know that there have been a number of other so uh stars, marginal or otherwise, that have done their own sex tapes, and they've somehow, oh my God, how did they get out? Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee Jones, I think, has made bazillions of dollars on this. Right, and right. So, and, and the Kardashian uh, uh, Yeah, right. yeah. So. Uh, what I find more interesting than the actual presence of a Paris Hilton sex tape is the way that she has continued to organize her public personality around a pornographic relationship with the public. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, she doesn't like us, uh, we don't like her, and yet we continue to interact with her. Uh, and we interact with her primarily on a sexual level, despite our mutual disdain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now she's got this show on, on MTV, which I find uh, both hilarious and, you know, you know one more, you know, to, one more cliche, you know, uh, evidence for the fall of Western civilization. Yeah. Uh, be, my BFF, my best friend forever. Yeah. Uh, the one episode I watched. Uh, a young man who wants to be her best friend forever. And by the way, there's bound to be a, there's going to be a second series. So the fact that you can have a second best friend forever is <laughs> really uh, fascinating. But in this in this episode, the young man was trying to get back at another contestant, and he did so by uh, taking her toothbrush and uh, placing it in his own body in various places and then cleaning the toilet with it mm. uh and this is and they and they of course they they showed this they put they photo they were exactly exactly we, we saw all of this and uh what's fascinating there is that you know that that she would want a friend potentially <laughs> who is that kind of person yeah. and that we are encouraged to enjoy the kind of interaction that is that humiliating and degrading well yeah. th- is now is that really porn or is that just bad taste? Just well, gone? Um, I would say there are lots of things that are bad taste. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that when we get to, when we are encouraged to enjoy the, the actual humiliation and actual degradation of others, we're not talking about just an annoyance or a minor humiliation, but brushing your teeth with a toothbrush that has been in, the, in, in a toilet or in somebody's well, body part, yeah. that's actual degradation. Yeah. And that's the thing that's happening in some of the darker regions of porn right now, right. that it's, it's ceasing to be even porn anymore. It's becoming documentary. Yeah. It's becoming documentary of degradation, mm-hmm. uh, it, where it's not acting anymore. It's, you know, the, the, the degradation this, is real. And this is what you're talking about in the book, so sort of this, uh, this idea of uh, the, the, this uh, ethos, uh, this uh, culture of humiliation is is really seeped into what we consider now to be entertaining in the, in this country. I mean, is, is that, was that the part of the point that is being... A- absolutely. Uh, and that's, 
we are increasingly finding uh, pleasure in, oh, it's like what, what I just described earlier with uh, what's going on and in, in still in the majority of, of American pornography, which is I gain my identity by taking or destroying yours. Yeah. We're speaking with Kevin M. Scott. He's the co-author of the book, The Porning of America, The Rise of Porn Culture and What It Means and Where We Go From Here. Now, now, is this the fall of Western civilization? <laughs> Have we got to a point now where where uh, it really is destroying our culture in ways that it's going to be tough to recover from? Um, you know, uh, despite the the dark tone we take about uh, the direction we have been going in the book, I don't I don't necessarily think so. I think that there are a number of things going on which suggest that it is quite possible that we are going to take this back ourselves. I'm, I'm really fascinated by the true amateur porn movement. Um, and, you know, this could still turn around and become, for, you know, for all I know, a, um, an even bigger cesspool than, than that has existed before. Uh, but so far, I'm pretty impressed with it. Uh, and uh, and I'm also impressed with the growth of, of other brands of porn. So, yes, we do have an increase in this violent, degrading stuff, but we've got counter-narratives. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about, because you mentioned something earlier, uh, what you called feminist or women's porn. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Now, 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 is... I don't know. I, does this tend to be heterosexual or homosexual? Um, yes. <laughs> um, you know, one of my, uh, this is going to sound, you know, one of my actual heroes is a woman by the name of Candida Royale. Uh-huh. Uh, she actually was a feminist activist uh, in her younger years uh, and um, uh, strangely ended up uh, doing pornography, left the industry because of uh, the degradation that, uh, you know, flavored most of what was going on, and then came back later to do something very different. And uh, their goal, you know, there are a number of things that characterize women's porn. Number one, you know, for for instance, the orgasms are real, uh, because the idea is that, you know, women recognize when it's being faked. And uh, as much as you can give a thumbs up to high-end porn, like Jenna Jameson's world of porn, right. The acting is so horrible that yeah. uh, I'm amazed anybody believes it, yeah. you know. Uh, and so, but in, in women's porn, that's not the case. Um, and while most of it does tend to be heterosexual, there's plenty of, of, of within women's porn that isn't, although, it, yeah, obviously. It, it, is that have to do with that sort of the, that, that uh, it takes out of the equation sort of the power dynamic that you get in sort of heterosexual? Well, not necessarily, but it's um, the difference becomes is that the power dynamic is not um, is is played with rather than manifested. No, I'm talking about women with women. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, okay. Uh, so I'm, what I'm saying is that uh, women's porn, once again, is a fairly broad field. I don't want to characterize. Yeah. You know, we can't characterize all of it in in, in, a, in a snapshot. But yeah. Um, you know, there, there is an, a, a growing amount of women's porn that's interested in fetish, but fetish tends to play with the idea of power mm-hmm. rather than to manifest it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in most uh, American porn for men, power is manifested, meaning it's real. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, there's so many gradations of yeah, what we're talking yeah. about here, and it's really interesting. Uh, but it it does it is apparent that, no. that we're seeing in our advertising sort of mainstream advertising, and I, I did want to touch on that a little bit. Sure, well, I was going to get into that, and and maybe we can get into that via just legislation. Is there is do you think that there's something uh, that's a healthy thing for, or do you think that what uh, the Clinton administration did in the '90s by saying there's more important things, uh, let's let's forget about that and, and move on, and the culture can take care of itself? Which which side of that are you on? 
Well, I do think that, you know, uh, entering into um, efforts at censorship uh, is a bad idea. Uh, you know, it, it inevitably ends up uh, censorship once given uh, to, you know, once the power of censorship is given to someone, that power almost always gets abused. Uh, you know, Anthony Comstock, who created Comstock Law in, in, the 19, in the 1800s, you know, started just being interested in pornography, what, what we would recognize as pornography, but pretty soon he was also confiscating medical textbooks. Um, and I'm not saying that we would, you know, or suddenly our medical textbooks would be off limits, but you it, it just there's inevitable creep. But but there's something about privacy in right. in in uh, pornography. In other words, you know yes. th- this idea that the the Paris Hilton tape was smuggled out and we weren't supposed to see it. There's something uh, purient about that, as well as there is a, some a real issue here in terms of the ability of us to spy on one another. And obviously, oh. in the course of spying on, on on each other, we will find ourselves in in sexual acts being revealed. I'm waiting for a day when we see. Uh, the president and his wife on tape having sex, and what what that will what does that what does that mean? What will that mean? I'm you know maybe it'll never happen, but it, there is some somebody very powerful will be seen having sex uh, in an unauthorized way. And what will that mean? To, you <laughs> well, know? you know, already we've got websites that are dedicated to being satellite image uh, uh, crawlers. So that uh, guys get on these websites and they hunt for images of naked women, like sunbathing in, in satellites. And there was one that was very popular, and, uh, and it was just a woman who got caught in her own car bending over. And because she bent over, her thong was showing up above her her pants. So here's this innocent woman in the middle of who knows where who suddenly becomes a third-tier Internet sensation because her thong is showing in her own car. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is, is there something about a dynamic here where we, the, the rabble, oh. uh, are able to bring down to our level the yeah. powerful by watching them have sex in, in, in ways that we wouldn't really <laughs> want to see them ha- be having? You know what I mean? There's something about, I'm, I'm envisioning a point where this is a, sort of a, a reaction for, of the unpowerful to, uh, at, at, the, at the powerful. Oh, absolutely, I mean, absolutely. I think that there's a resentment towards the powerful, and I think that, you know, once again, the Paris Hilton story is, is a perfect example. You know, she comes from, you know, the scion of, of the Hilton uh, Hotel uh, Company. And yet, you know, that, that whole rollout of her personality happened in exactly the way, uh, you know, in a typical porn movie plot. We were the gardener watching the rich man's daughter having sex with her boyfriend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and in doing so, we... But, lowered her to our level and ended up having sex with her in a, in a sort of weird cultural way on our right. own. But but I'm mine is more of a political perspective. Really, sure. the truly powerful Paris Hilton is a well, is a right. No matter what, it's going to well, be I'm a psychological. About this as a, a step in that direction. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. And I, I'm I'm waiting for the Michelle and and a Barack tape at some point in my life. You know, well, and I I, I would be stunned <laughs> if there are not productions of lookalikes happening. Yeah. right Well, now. they did that with Sarah Palin. I'm I'm right, talking about for right. real, and I, I just wonder right. how that all. You had a question like, on advertising. Yeah, right? yeah I, I didn't did. want to cut that. No, off, that's right. But go ahead. No, no. You, well, in your book, you talk uh, a bit about the uh, sort of the pornification of of images. You mentioned the Clinique ad and, and others, and the Bratz dolls. We haven't even touched on all. There's a lot we haven't talked about here. But absolutely, is, is there something within advertising? Do you think that that's that's fair game to to go further into the the pornographic aspects of it? You know, to to, to project those on our on, on TV, or should there be some sort of 
guidelines what they're able to show. And it, well, this is an area where I very uncomfortably do believe that there's room for some rules, mm-hmm. you know, because I do think, you know, uh, as, as a father of, of, of children and children and a daughter who's seven, you know, I am startled by how certain kinds of commercials get paired with certain kinds of shows. And, and uh, while I can protect my daughter from, from very many images, there's no way I can protect her from, uh, you know, let's say the Victoria's Secret uh, commercials, which, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm a, I personally am a big fan of Victoria's Secret uh, and uh, have shopped there myself, uh, obviously not for myself. Uh, but, <laughs> well, uh, that would be all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you're with friends. It's okay. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but... <laughs> Not only do those image do those commercials depict women in highly sexual poses and in movements, but they present a particular kind of woman that uh, presents herself in a sexualized way, as, as a, which is slightly different than in a, as, in a sexual way. And, and my daughter is getting those messages that uh, being sexualized rather than sexual is is the way that you construct right. womanhood, and that to me has a, uh, is a problem. And, and it's breaking down the barriers between uh, juvenile and youth and, and teenagers. Absolutely. And it, I, we could go on. This is a. I'm. I'm so glad we were able to talk to you today. Uh, the we're, uh, the book is the Porning of America. Uh, the author is Kevin M. Scott. Thank you so much for being here on Weekly Signals. Oh, I, I very much enjoyed it. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.